Chapter 2. Getting Vanessa back was like jumping out of an airplane. Except Wade didn't have a parachute, right? Instead, he had some seven-year-old's limited-edition Hello Kitty backpack. If he did the pros and cons of the situation, the con was definitely the impending splat, no question there. But what, gentle reader, was the goddamn pro? A beautiful vista, stretching endlessly below in a smear of smog and too many lights— a chance to reflect on one's life and dreams, both attained and forgotten? Or maybe it was the calm that came as one truly started to grasp their infinitesimally small impact on the wider universe. Wrong. The answer was a motherfucking limited-edition Hello Kitty backpack. Did he mention it was discontinued? One of a kind? Well, Vanessa probably wouldn't like being compared to a backpack. Then again... Vanessa didn't like a lot nowadays, which was fine. She was allowed to be angry. She was allowed to set her apartment on fire. She was allowed to feel. Wade would give her damn near anything she wanted, up to and including his own head on a platter. He didn't think she understood that, or the absolute miracle her existence was to him. He didn't... Uh... He didn't explain it well... He didn't explain that all the torture in the world was worth her walking around again. All the pain. All the nights he stared up at the ceiling in misery before eating a bullet. See, Wade might be traumatized by this? Just a little bit. Practically a requirement for any superhero worth his or her salt today. And it was trauma that probably bothered him the most. Oh, but not his own. Hers. They used to be a matching pair, like his and hers towels, but the towels were their fucked-up lives, their childhood issues, and their delightfully morally gray mindsets. But now, suddenly, she had a trauma he couldn't touch, and he couldn't understand, and he was high-key flipping out about it, because he knew how to deal with daddy issues, crack jokes and cry about it later. But he had no friggin' clue how to approach, got eaten by an infinity stone for 18 months, and can't deal. Gosh, here was an intrusive thought. Was this what she felt when he mutated? When his body and abilities radically changed beyond both of their expectations? If so, boy, had she kept that under wraps. Wade wasn't doing nearly as well. But he tried, and he would keep trying until he croaked.
He bought back her apartment, for starters. He was selfishly glad he'd undid the part of the timeline where he splattered his insides over much of Boston, including the inside of Vanessa's home. That meant that when he lost her again, he was able to hoard all of Vanessa's belongings like a motherfucker. And when she'd came back, he was able to recreate their life together, down to the last badly tacked poster. He also dropped all the assignments for about six months, which was unusual for him. He was what you might call a workaholic. Even in those 18 months of hell, he'd kept up steady stream of funds and unalived marks. There were a surprising number of them converging on the same aliens he was converging on. Like carrion crows, really. It was practically fate. But the lack of assignments helped him focus more on Vanessa. Whether or not she appreciated that was a moving target most days. He even... God... He even read entire books about trauma and things related to it. The perspective wasn't always wanted, especially when certain sections started sounding pretty damn close to a certain murk of a rogue variety. But it gave him some context, some strategies to help her. When to back off, when to approach, what to offer, what to not offer, what not to say, which was a big one. But what none of those books really addressed was this feeling of being utterly ingenuine around her. No, really. He felt absolutely fucking fake around her sometimes. And the guilt was almost too much to swallow. And Wade was a champion swallower. In his heart of hearts, he knew she could be horrifically depressed, or suicidal, or crippled, or a freaking vegetable but he would still be nothing less than ecstatic that she was still around. Harboring that daily joy seemed rude on her better days, and downright inconsiderate and shitty on her darkest days. It seemed fucking awful that he could be so happy when she was so... not. Oh, if only he had disappeared with her. He would have been merrily in that hellscape with her. He would be understanding her anger now, and validating it because he felt it too, Instead, any validation he could give her rang hollow. Vanessa was lost in a way she wouldn't admit to. Her confidence had been cracked down the middle. Some nights, she would wake up crying and couldn't remember why, grasping for someone who wasn't him. It made Wade want to find that grimish shithead and pump him full of lead. But that was no avenue of closure for either of them. Thanos was dead, killed by Thor and Iron Man and it had taken the last of the Avengers' months to scramble together enough Asgardian and alien technology to find him. Wade, on the other hand, wasn't exactly known for having an Infinity Gauntlet or a Norse god in his back pocket. So, instead, he sat on his hands and tried to support his girl, as she pushed past the kind of despair that made him spend an entire movie trying to find a way to successfully kill himself. She was so much stronger than he was. In the end, there was nowhere else he'd rather be, no other universe he'd rather duck into instead. She wasn't dead on the ground with a hole in her heart. She wasn't scattered to dust. Instead, she was here. She was frustrated. She was angry. She was alive. Wade had dealt with a whole lot less.
In his captain's log, Peter was going to call this day, The Day Peter Quill Screwed Me Over. Side note for Mr. Stark, if Karen would stop censoring his curse words, that would be great. It made it sound like Quill was doing something a lot more inappropriate, which, ew. Quill was okay looking, but his whole persona screamed, sweaty older brother, and Peter was not about that life. Peter's prevailing thoughts of the Guardians were that they were interesting, weird, nice, but freaking pushy, and apparently prone to sudden and completely unexpected betrayal. Take this day, for example. The day Peter Quill screwed me over. Or there was also the day Quill plus co. abandoned a 17-year-old on a hostile alien planet. Right? That wasn't nice. It had been seven months. Peter was okay with admitting he cried a bit on that day. Dead planets were lonely. Or there was the day Peter Quill plus co. realized no one was picking said 17-year-old up from a hostile alien planet. That, um, that was awkward in a different way. Or the day Mantis tried to put me to sleep. Very frustrating. It almost worked, too. Or, the day Drax tried to drink me under the table. Which, alcohol? Wasn't great. Why do people drink at all? Stinky stuff. Would not recommend. Or, the day Quill tried to have an adult TM conversation and threw a tantrum instead. Which Peter recorded for posterity, because screw you very much, Quill. Or the day... Oh. Oh. Hmm. And now that he lined it up that way, the day Peter Quill screwed me over was actually entirely expected. Not a surprise at all. Almost foreshadowed, really. Which kind of made this whole day his fault. He should have expected it. The Guardians weren't the kinds of people who let sleeping dogs lie. Peter had known that from almost the beginning of all this. It had taken the Guardians about a week to remember that Mr. Stark, Doctor Strange, and Peter hadn't flown to Titan so much as they had crash-landed into it with a ship they had stolen from Ebony Maw himself. Toss in some vague memories Quill had about Earth's crappy and very infant space program, and the Guardians wasted a little time hoofing it back to Titan to save one Peter Parker. By that time, two weeks had passed, and Peter had gotten used to being by himself. The Guardian's attempts were not well received. Quill offered alternatives ranging from dropping him off at someplace more civilized to leaving behind a Guardian, to carving out a space on his own ship for Peter until Mr. Stark showed up. But Peter dug his heels in with the stubbornness of someone who was kind of, sort of aware that some of this situation was his own fault. He didn't want to leave Titan. He had made a decision about staying, and he was fine. If anything, he was quite frankly embarrassed that Quill had turned back from burying his friend to try and help him. He'd been competent during that Thanos fight, hadn't he? It didn't help that the more and more Quill pushed him about it, the more and more Peter was determined to prove he was okay. He could hang tight and tighten for as long as Mr. Stark needed. He was smart enough. He was resourceful enough. He could be trusted. Of course, it wasn't... It wasn't sustainable. Peter was well aware of that. In the last seven months, the weather had stayed mostly constant, but it could certainly get a lot worse, and in ways he wasn't ready to deal with. 
On top of that, his main coping method, pretending to be a Maroon Starfleet officer, had consequences. Titan was a genuinely interesting planet, and Peter had learned early on how soothing it was to record everything he was seeing and talk through all of his discoveries with Mr. Stark. Or a future Mr. Stark, rather. You know, the one who would pick him up any day now? But if he kept doing his captain's log and taking videos, Karen warned him that he would be out of storage space in three and a half years. What she didn't say was that he'd be out of suit power in less than one. Karen dealt in finite terms, beginnings and ends, ones and zeros, but the special touch of genius Tony Stark put into everything meant she wasn't cruel about it. But he was fine, damn it! So he resented the day Quill screwed me over. It seemed like an especially big waste of time, seeing that he'd tried showing Quill how capable he was in the past. All those heart-to-heart conversations, that tour of his living quarters, that introduction to the tiger-octopus thing that tried to eat him every other day, all for nothing. Quill didn't believe a word he said. Peter was okay, and Peter would be okay until Mr. Stark landed on Titan to take him home. He promised himself he would be, and Peter didn't make a habit of breaking promises. Anyway, before the day Quill screwed me over, the contact between the Guardians and Peter had soured enough that Peter stopped meeting them when they dropped off their weekly supplies. On his angrier days, he considered ignoring the supplies entirely, but they'd started including this mushy, chocolatey, pomegranate oatmeal thing that he was absolutely weak for. There was never going to be a time where he was angry enough at the last day of betrayal to say no to that. But that particular day, the last of such days, he would figure out, was a good day. Peter was even considering breaking their stalemate a bit and saying hi. He stroked his jaw, considering it. On his last good day, he'd had a thin dusting of patchy stubble. They hadn't noticed. But he'd grown it out since, and he kind of wanted Quill's opinion on it. Every time the guy sneezed, he developed a five o'clock shadow. It wasn't fair. Peter wanted some tips, or maybe a compliment or two. Or maybe just a razor. Beards were itchy. So, Peter darted through the ruins of Titan towards the descending ship. Without Karen's HUD, it was more dicey than it should have been. But he'd been here long enough that he could read the signs of Titan's endlessly collapsing infrastructure like a child's comic book. Avoiding weak points, he crawled high enough on one colossal superstructure to spy on the parked ship from afar. As usual, Quill's vessel did not inspire confidence. The outer hole was dinged up and littered with chipping paint. The machine hissed, spitting up superheated air between the outer plates. The lights were still on, too, flickering like a dying fluorescent bulb in a truck stop in the middle of nowhere. Peter was dying to stick his hand in the motor and start poking around, start learning what exactly it was in Quill's trash heap of a ship that made it spaceworthy. But that would probably require a concession he wasn't willing to make. The main ship door hitched once, shuddering before finally sliding open. An unfamiliar woman came out. Peter cocked his head to the side, leaning forward to squint at her better. She had long black hair with red highlights, and she was looking over the landscape with cool, tight-lipped appraisal. The fact that she was green registered as almost an afterthought. He was more focused on her stance, shoulders-width apart and steady, 
almost at parade rest, and her hands clasped round an innocuous staff. She just stood there, waiting for... something. Wynne tossed the flaps of her long leather jacket to the left as she stared steadily at a fixed point, twenty feet to Peter's left. Then Peter's arm hair stood on end. He yelped and leapt backward without thinking, shooting in the air just in time to see Quill crash feet first where he just was. Quill recovered quickly, the red eyes of his helmet flaring. Your time's up, Pete! He was handling a hefty-looking gun in both hands, and not looking very friendly about it. Alarmed, Peter took advantage of the weird gravity on the planet and dove. Quill shot out a hand in his direction. Don't you fucking dare! Much to Quill's dismay, Peter slipped through a crack of the fallen building, the musty, dark, cold air, a jolting contrast to the late afternoon sun of Titan. After free-falling for a few seconds, he blindly landed in a smooth roll on the closest flat surface and tucked himself under a crumbling overhang. Hidden, he cautiously peered up at Quill, his eyesight rapidly adjusting to the darkness. This almost immediately helped when Quill stuck his masked face in the hole, obscuring the light. Quill had never gone after him this hard. He usually poked, bothered, pestered. He didn't fly after Peter in his jet boots armed with a giant potato launcher of a gun. What had Peter done this time to get so much of Quill's attention? Did somebody know about him this far away from home? Was there a bounty on his head? Please say there wasn't a bounty. That would be unfair. Peter ducked lower, hiding behind a smooth marble-like wall, his hand sliding against it as he inched further away from Quill. Quill was having some difficulties. Dust and debris rained from above, where he was forcing the hole to widen. When it was big enough, he dropped in, falling at a controlled descent. Peter crouched, staying in place. Aw, man! If he had his webs, this would be over in a minute. He'd been out of them for months, and Quill knew it. Meanwhile, Quill was sweeping the dark corners of the cavernous space with the tip of his potato gun. Make this easy on us, Pete, he called out, looking the wrong way. Us? Damn it. Where were the others? Quill's back was almost to him now as he scrutinized the wrong shadows. I'm not leaving you on this damn planet any longer. Then he suddenly shifted his gun to point right at Peter's hiding spot. He squeezed the trigger. A jet-propelled net shot through the air, barreling to Peter's hiding spot. Peter jumped straight up to avoid it, plastering himself against the low ceiling. Under his fingers, he felt an opportunity. He dug in, yanking out a chunk of masonry and threw it at Quill's left boot, forcing him to spin in midair. Leave me alone! Peter yelled, dropping back to the floor. Or a floor, at least. The building went much deeper. Huh. There was an idea. He went to the edge of the broken floor and dropped to the next lowest one. Then he did it again, and again, and again. By the time Quill had control of his jet boots, Peter was five floors deeper and sliding once more through a crack in the building's walls. When Quill saw what he was doing, he immediately called Foul. Oh, come on, dude! Seriously? You're so small! It was even darker down here. Fewer cracks to let in fading light. There was only one low and flat against the ground, but it led straight outside. If he wanted to get out of there, he would have to crawl on his stomach to do so. He jogged over to it, feeling better about having such a solid escape plan. Pat on the back. Go Peter! And man, what did Quill know anyway? 
Peter was doing fine, okay? Just goddamn fine. Sure, it was lonely at night, and he suffered from some bad tummy aches when he ran into food he couldn't eat. The weekly supply drop helped more than they knew. And sure, Karen's voice had stopped working five months in, her voice getting fainter and fainter until they had to start using pulsing lights to communicate without words. And yeah, maybe Peter stopped genuinely expecting Mr. Stark to show up about a month into his time on Titan. Maybe he... Maybe he gave up a little on ever seeing Earth again. Or May. Or Ned. But he was fine. Chewing on his lips behind his mask, Peter dropped to his hands and knees. Once in front of his escape route, he peered into the dusky, dull orange light. The crack was bigger than he thought, wide enough even for an Iron Man suit. And the dirt in front of it had already been disturbed. His lenses pulsed red. Peter sprang to his feet, making eye contact with an almost insultingly bored Drax looming in the dark. Cracking his knuckles, Drax narrowed his oddly pale eyes at Peter. He yawned hugely before swinging at Peter's head. Crouching under it, Peter kicked the back of the large alien's knee with more force than warranted, forcing him to stagger. Spinning in place, Peter used his second assailant's momentum to propel her up and at Drax. Drax caught Mantis with a resigned sigh, like maybe next time he wouldn't. They fell together in a messy pile on the ground. Peter skipped back several feet, reassessing. It's been nice seeing you again. Mantis loved the haircut. Drax, did you finally get around to washing your pants? Good on you. We'll make a reasonable adult out of you yet. Drax let out something that sounded suspiciously like a snore. Mantis was almost his polar opposite, frantically awake and concerned. She planted her palm in Drax's face, pushing herself up with it. Peter, please, she implored. Peter backed away with his hands held up. No can do. This is, what, the fifth attempt you guys have made to kidnap me? Get a new playbook. But the thing is, they did. Peter was weirdly okay with their inept attempts to trick him back to Quill's ship. It was kind of cute in a ham-fisted way like a child trying to hide their theft of the last cookie while it was still grasped in their sticky little hand. Peter wasn't ready for this particular playbook. He hadn't fought anyone in months, and the sudden violence was very rattling on his nerves. Behind him, he could hear Quill's voice echoing louder in the chamber as he moved closer. Peter shook his head sharply. He was going to hide. Deeper, if he had to. Even if it fell on him like he always feared it would but he didn't get a chance to take even one more step. Enough! growled someone in his ear. His senses screamed. He ducked without thinking, arm coming up in time to block the second swing that would have broken a rib. He spun around, then a boot caught him in the sternum, sending him back hard enough to impact a wall. Dirt rained on him, blinding his lenses long enough to let the new enemy in close enough to push a stick. No, a staff hard against his barely armored throat. He pushed back against it immediately, getting it away from him. This was a mistake. The combatant used his grip on the staff to yank him away from the wall. Then the staff twisted out of his grip, slammed him twice in the legs, and once in the chest before it whipped around, catching him behind his calves. Peter hit the ground hard. Then it was done. Winded and taken aback by this development, Peter nevertheless learned a thing or two. Several of them, in fact. One, the stranger guardian he'd spied on before was very fast, 
and very pretty, this close-up. She had nice boots, too. Heavy. Shiny. Mostly heavy, though, especially where one had planted itself on his stomach. He wasn't about to move unless she let him. Two, the staff he'd thought was so innocuous before had a wicked sharp edge at one end. It was currently resting just under his chin. If he swallowed too hard, he was going to slit his own throat. Three, he didn't think he'd ever been beaten this fast. He'd like to have his slice of humble pie, please. You know, if she'd let him. It was okay if she didn't. She was clearly the boss here. It was this tableau that Quill eventually stumbled into. Quite literally. He almost ate it halfway to them. So quickly did he approach the stranger, hand outstretched. Gamora, don't hurt him! Gamora. Peter gazed up at her in awe. One of the ex-children of Thanos. Rebel, savior, sacrifice. One of the original guardians of the galaxy. Peter always wondered what Gamora was like that Quill had been willing to risk half of the universe to punish the man who murdered her. You were wasting our time, Gamora was saying. There was an edge of defensiveness to her words. Were none of you actually serious about catching him? Quill shrugged defensively in response. Casually, he reached into his jacket and activated a light, snapping it and dropping the glow-stickish tech to the floor. By the way that both Gamora and Mantis blinked, Peter could tell he wasn't the only one mildly blinded by bright purple glow. Whatever alien species made up Quill's other half, it wasn't one with night vision. Not really, Drax drawled. He was still spread eagle on the floor. He itched his peck, looking drowsy. Mantis was clasping her hands together worriedly. He's not a mission, Gamora. Isn't he, though? At her team's silence, Gamora sneered. You all wanted to retrieve him. That makes him a mission. Peter tried not to visibly wince when the boot on his chest got a little heavier. You were so focused on the fact that he was a child that you forget he also went toe-to-toe with my father and lived. How many people have managed that? Tell me. Gamora's voice was raw. Because I didn't. No one seemed to know how to respond to that. So they didn't. Still flat on the floor, Peter grimaced. This was super awkward. He let the mask fall. His eyes adjusted better to the light without the lenses. He cleared his throat, swinging his gaze over to the lesser of evils. So, congrats on finding that soulstone planet, Quill. Quill disengaged his own helmet. We didn't find it, he admitted quietly. She found us first. Peter nodded. Well, not as much as the blade would let him before barreling on into the conversation. He looked up at Gamora and did a stupid little wave about hip level. Gamora, nice to meet you. I've heard lots. I'm Peter. Well, a different Peter. It's complicated. He lifted the same hand he used to wave to gesture between himself and Quill. I'm, um, what do you call it? Guardian adjacent? Friends of guardians? A friendly? When Gamora swung her intense gaze back down to him, Peter quailed slightly. He turned his face, muttering to Quill. Right? We're friends? Quill sighed, rubbing a hand over his mouth. Yeah, Pete. Friends. So, Peter said leadingly, jerking his gaze back to Gamora. He made a rolling gesture with his wrist. Any chance any of that comes with less pointy bits? 
She shot him a toothy smile that was warm, and yet not entirely immiscible. None. Okay, Peter breathed, deflating. P could be patient. Besides, he needed to reassess. Gather some more information, maybe, because the Guardians were different now. Even he could see that. His last impression of them was a big idiot kid leading other idiot kids, and everyone was armed with weapons. But something that visibly and actively changed with Gamora's return. Peter couldn't put his finger on it, but it was like something structured had slipped back into place. Something that brimmed with vitality and confidence. Peter blinked rapidly as it all slotted together. Well, damn. That was it, wasn't it? The Guardians had gotten their morale back. He almost immediately sagged, dropping into a foul mood. Well, wasn't that just swell for them? While Peter scrutinized the group suspiciously, Quill had dropped to one knee next to him. Hi, Quill, Peter said tiredly. Hi, Pete, Quill returned. His smile was small, but not smug, and not unkind. We have a proposition for you. Peter sighed. One that involves me leaving the planet? he guessed. Quill flapped a hand. Eh, that's just a happy coincidence. He quirked a wider smile at that. Why would it be coincidence? Drax was whispering in the background. Sitting up, he pointed an accusing finger at Quill. You just said that the whole thing was a plot to get him back to Earth. A plot, Quill. Quill looked up at the ceiling like he'd find extra patience there. I know what I said. Ixnay on the strategy, A, okay? Peter raised a finger. It's, uh, Adagistray, actually? Quill glared down at him. Do not encourage him, he said in an undertone. He cocked his head, considering Peter. By the way, were you bullied in school? You seem the type. Behind him, Drax was crossing his arms with a scowl. A plot is not coincidence he said to Mantis in a stage whisper. Above Peter, Gamora rolled her eyes. Here's the situation, Quill said briskly, cutting through all the chatter. We need to collect some of our members, Groot and Rocket. They split from us to follow Thor, and we know Thor was trying to get back to Midgard, Earth. It's been over two years since then, and they're not back, Gamora shared, eyes steady on Peter's face. Which is weird! Quill said earnestly. Rocket catches ants in his pants if he's in one place for too long. It's a character flaw, really. So instead, we're thinking they must be under guard or something by someone on Earth. After a beat, he shrugged. Maybe. We are not sure what your planet is like, especially after an invasion by Thanos, Gamora said grimly. They may not be open to negotiations, especially not to outsiders. We've had many governments try and fail to kill us, Drax said with pride. We'd rather avoid that, Mantis chirped in a sing-songy voice, smiling. But if we had you, Quill interjected quickly, dragging Peter's attention back to him, we could make a trade. Bad trade, if you ask me, Drax muttered. He reeled back when Mantis leveled an angry stare at him. What, a talking raccoon in a walking tree? I wouldn't make trade. He leaned closer to Mantis, as if sharing a secret. Boys are not rare. I'm sorry I have to tell you this. Mantis swelled like a bullfrog. But you're an avenger, 
Quill said loudly. Which means there's someone out there, oh, like the other Avengers, who will vouch for your value, right? Peter stayed silent. Most Avengers didn't know he'd joined them. Only Mr. Stark. And if Mr. Stark hadn't found a way to get to him by now... Was Mr. Stark even alive? Faced with that horrible thought, Peter looked up at Gamora. Your friends are on Earth. How do you know that they're even... He squashed the rest of his question, realizing how out of line it was, especially here and now, on this graveyard of a planet, to a woman who should have been very, very dead. But Gamora heard the part of the question he didn't have the heart to say. We don't, she responded quietly. But they're our friends, so we hope and try anyway. That resonated strongly with Peter, more strongly than anything the Guardians had brought to him before. Heat flooded his eyes. He pretended it was the dust. He tried stalling, but he had already made another decision. Fine. Fine. I'll come with you. But only so you can use me as a bargaining chip. Peter froze and blinked up at her. Wow. That sounded better in my head. Gamora smiled and removed her foot and staff. Then, welcome to the Guardians. However long we have you, that is. Next to her, Quill jumped up to his feet. He clapped his hands, grinning. Great, he said. Let's get out of here. Drax balked at that. What? Already? Peter Parker promised me last time to show me the tiger octopus. He clutched his hand in a fist in front of his wide chest. I must beat this creature. Regardless of the solemn oath, Drax allowed Gamora to drag him by the arm to the small crack in the wall. She pushed him through first, shoving harder when he got stuck. Meanwhile, Peter stood, smoothing a hand over his throat with paranoid attention. This meant he was still enough for Mantis to hop over and encircle him in a tight squeeze of a hug that he could feel even through his suit. A beat later, she held him at arm's length her liquid black eyes darting all over his face. I used to dream of you dying in a puddle of your own blood, under much rubble, she said sweetly. Peter could feel his face blanching. I... What? Mantis giggled at him, like he was funny, and skipped after Gamora without really explaining anything. Instead, Quill's hand settled heavily on his shoulder. What she means is she's been trying to get you to come with us since day one. Has been an outright nag about it, really. Wouldn't stop talking about you. Quill glanced at him under furrowed eyebrows, face twisted in a complicated expression. It was the closest Peter was going to get to an apology. He felt better about it, nevertheless. As they approached the escape route, Peter changed the subject. So, Gamora. Yup. Peter dropped to his stomach, army crawling his way outside. She's, um, wow, just wow. Yup, Peter commented behind him, voice strained. Wow is the adjective. Let's keep it that way. Once they were outside, Peter rolled to the left and out of the way. He offered a hand to Quill as he emerged not long after him. Dusty and dirty, blinking into the sun with a grouchy frown. They stood together, patting themselves down uselessly. Titan's dirt clung like wet clay without the moisture. The other guardians were yards ahead, just as dusty. They were already embroiled in a different argument, but Quill didn't seem to mind, lingering with Peter, hovering over him like... Yeah, like an older brother, 
Peter liked it. Oh, Quill, I've been meaning to ask you. He spread out his arms, jutting out his chin. What do you think? Quill's eyes narrowed at him. Of what? My... my beard! Oh, that's a beard? Quill squinted at him even more. You sure? With that, he shook his head once and ambled after his team. Peter stared after him in disbelief. I hate you so much. Nevertheless, he followed, hoping he was making the right decision here. He really did not want to know what Gamora would do to him if he changed his mind now. He and Karen weren't in the mood for another fight right now. Besides, Peter could use some of the Guardian's new morale for himself. The cupboard slammed shut under Vanessa's hand, sharp and loud like another entry into the argument brewing in her apartment. In contrast, Wade's voice was quiet. You need to talk to somebody, Ness. Like who? Vanessa argued thoughtlessly. You? She tensed. She didn't turn around. She didn't want to see his face. She hated fighting with Wade. It was gross and ugly, and they had all the ammunition in the world to hurt each other. They weren't always the best at only firing blanks. Wade was being patient with her. She wanted to rise to his level and match him. But sometimes, she just wanted to break things. Wade was trying so, so hard to be gentle. But they weren't gentle people. Just someone. Wade was saying slowly. Someone who can understand. Someone who gets your perspective. Then quietly, he muttered. Someone who isn't me. Vanessa smiled thinly at the wall. Nodding once to herself, she strode left until she hit her purse. She jerked it over her shoulder. I'm going out. Don't wait up. There was a sliding scrape, like he'd tripped into the table going after her. Vanessa! She didn't look back at him. If she looked back at him, she was going to start crying. So, Vanessa shut the front door behind her and took the stairs instead of the elevator. She needed the exertion, the expended energy, the place to put her anger that wasn't at the man she loved. By the time she was at street level, she was panting, tired and calmer. Vanessa wasn't mad at Wade. Okay, yeah, she was mad at him, but it was so stupid. She was almost madder at herself. You see, the main issue between them was that they didn't talk about these kind of things. They didn't get serious. Not even about serious things. Wade went through months of horrific torture, but it was Ajax who had told her about it. Not Wade. No. Wade deflected it with a joke and never brought it up again. And now he wanted her to talk? To share her feelings? What the absolute fuck? Vanessa smeared a hand over her face before walking out to the street, hailing a taxi. She rattled off an address and leaned back in the back seat, staring blankly out the window. He wanted her to talk? Fine. But she was, and she was failing so fucking badly at it. Vanessa had picked up a therapist after the whole almost suicide attempt thing. 
If Wade knew, he'd probably be happier with her. But he didn't. And even now, she still didn't want to tell him. Maybe she would, once she reached a healing point. But she couldn't at this moment. Not when it wasn't going very well. Her therapist said she had PTSD, like the diagnosis would empower her instead of disgust her. But PTSD was for people who had actually been through real shit, not for assholes like her who disappeared for all of five seconds and got obsessed over it. It wasn't right. She hated it. The diagnosis left her stomach feeling like it had been hollowed out like a pumpkin. And if she told Wade, of all people, about it, God, what a shit show. The taxi stopped at the corner. She tossed him the payment and stepped out, walking the long route to Sister Margaret's. Not her best choice, considering her options. Accordingly, the rest of the night was a long blur. She wasn't twenty anymore, so she resented the idea that she could become blackout drunk. And yet, she was drunk. And she certainly blacked out. After her fifth shot of vodka, Weasel moved her to the back room with a variety of liquor bottles, then closed the door behind her. Vanessa was probably bad for business. Mom, look at me now. When she woke up the next morning, she wasn't dead, no matter what her pounding head was telling her. She was curled in a tight ball on a dusty chair. She wanted desperately to be home. But she was still there in Weasel's shithole of a bar. She sat up, combing a hand self-consciously through her hair. She was halfway through a decision to sleep for another hour, Window Pinder stuck his curly little head through the doorway. Breakfast, Miss Poole? he said hopefully. He was wielding a soggy, eggy spatula. He sat with her at the empty bar, which was cute. The rest of the establishment was empty and smelled faintly like beer and piss. It was silent, save for the faint buzz of shitty light bulbs and the soft strains of music from a neighbor. Her eggs and toast were served with a screwdriver and a bottle of aspirin. Breakfast of champions. Dopinder was quiet and fiddly, but most importantly, still where it mattered for her hungover brain. Then suddenly, he was springing up from his stool, quick enough that Vanessa developed secondhand queasiness and had to lay her head on the counter. I have something for you. You've already gone above and beyond, she croaked, clasping a hand over her mouth. Then she paused when he brandished a set of clean, familiar clothes in her direction. She sat up straight, pointing a finger at him. Okay, this went from cute to creepy. Dopinder froze, his eyes going very, very round. I am very, very sorry, he whispered. Vanessa leveled a hard stare at him. Then she lifted a shoulder, uncaring. Forget it. The creep factor is not in your court. Draining the rest of her screwdriver, she snatched the clothes from his loose grip, finding her way back to her impromptu bed to change in privacy. When she came back to her toast and eggs, Dopinder was frantically texting. She slid back into her seat and leaned against his arm. How the hell did you deal with all of this disappearing shit, Dopinder? You're still so chipper. I do not remember disappearing as well as you do, Mrs. Poole. I was asleep. Of course Dopinder would be one of the lucky ones. Vanessa sighed, defeated. It's okay. She folded up the piece of toast in front of her and chewed on the corner of it, her stomach rebelling. Then she remembered the guy lived alone. What happened when you came back? You must have had some issues then. 
Dopinder nodded rapidly in agreement. His gaze went distant. My landlord threw all of my belongings in the trash and put my apartment back on the market within a week of my leaving. Oh, sweetie. She rubbed his shoulder. Dopinder smiled faintly. When I came back, though, I woke up in bed next to a beautiful stranger. He was very kind to me and explained what happened. Dopinder's face fell. Gita was not so understanding. She did not wait for me. He reached into his pocket, pulling out his phone. After swiping through it for a moment, he turned the screen around to face her. I am so very fortunate that Omar, my beautiful stranger, has supported me in this. Much like you and Mr. Poole. On the phone was a picture of tiny and cute Dopinder next to a very built, very beautiful young man with perfectly coiffed black hair and smooth dark skin. He had a possessive hand on one of Dopinder's shoulders. He was also inexplicably shirtless. Wade was right. Dopinder's love life was ridiculous. I'm sorry about Gita, honey. Yes, Gita continues to reject me. I do not know how to show her that my love is true. Despite these words, Dopinder beamed suddenly. He put away his phone and pulled out his wallet instead. It was battered and thin around the edges. He pulled out a folded neon orange flyer. But, but she did give me this. Her mother's friend's brother's aunt went, and it was very helpful. Vanessa reluctantly took it. This, like the clothes, breakfast and attention, stank of an intervention. Thanks. She unfolded it, eyes scanning quickly over the bolded text. It was bluntly stated. If you were someone who had disappeared during the Infinity Affair, you were welcome to join a group of like-minded people every week for a picnic in the park. Simple. Easy. Low stress. On top of that, the next picnic was in mere hours. Convenient. Vanessa was starting to doubt Gita had a mother whose friend's brother's aunt attended such a thing. Dopinder met her gaze, visibly sweating. She leaned forward, mouth opening to poke holes in the story. Then there was a clatter behind the bar. Are you ladies done gossiping? Weasel sat up, half of his hair standing straight up. His glasses were askew over his nose, and there was drool caked over one cheek. He had half of the blanket clutched to his stomach like it would protect him. At their looks, he glared. What? I got evicted. Fucking sue me. He stood with a groan, a hand flying to his lower back. Topenter put on his best assertive face. Mr. Weasel, we were not gossiping, he scolded. He glanced at Vanessa, then back at Wade. We were discussing very serious matters. Vanessa's eyebrows winged up. Some of those sounded capitalized. Whatever. Dopinder scowled, then he shook himself out of it, like he was reminding himself of his lines. Mr. Weasel, how did you cope with disappearing? Interested, despite herself, Vanessa propped her chin up on her hands. Weed, my small friend. Before, during, after. Thought it was part of the trip. Weasel cracked his spine with a wince before leveling a dull stare at Vanessa. You done with your pity party yet, princess? Behind her, Dopinder was making cutting gestures at his neck. Vanessa smiled beautifully. Choke on a dick, Weasel. Wow, see if I let you and your potty mouth in my bar ever again. Despite the words, he hobbled around the bar just long enough to give her a one-armed hug. She kissed his cheek and slipped a fifty in the tip jar. Her nose wrinkled as she pulled away. Take a shower, Weasel. 
Take a hike, Vanessa, Weasel fired back. And call him so he stops calling me, please. And Dopinder, mop up the floor behind the bar. If it's not clean enough for a man to sleep on, I'll fire you. What? You fired me last night. I'll fire you again. Weasel leaned over the bar, groaning. God damn. Sleeping on floors is a young man's sport. Dopinder, let me sleep at your place. Vanessa slipped out of the bar, just as Dopinder started protesting something about discretion and maintaining a work-life balance. It spun into an argument about wages and certain unethical bartenders not appreciating the unsung hero in their midst. Glass crashed in the background. "'Baby, come back!' Weasel rasped. "'I'll do right by you. Just... just fucking mop so I don't have to... Jesus Christ!' Rolling her eyes, Vanessa walked away from the bar. The closer and closer she got to the street, though, the more drained she felt. Still, she kept walking. One foot in front of the other, and not much more to it. She felt like a zombie, walking across an apocalyptic wasteland on broken legs. Directionless and vaguely hungry. It wasn't just the hangover. Vanessa had felt like this for months. Alcohol helped. So did sleep and hobbies. Distractions. People helped the most. Weary, she glanced at her phone. She had 15% battery left, and it was only 11 a.m. She also had 15 texts and 42 missed phone calls. Very restrained for Wade. Making a decision, Vanessa made a left and started walking down the street away from the bar, musing on how to approach this. Then, as she crossed a crosswalk, she thought, Fuck it. She called him back. It rang a few times, enough to make her heart beat double time with nerves, but then he answered with a distracted greeting. She ignored it. So, Dopinder has a new boyfriend. Wade sucked in a breath, as if he hadn't expected her to be on the other end. Then, in a brighter tone, he said, The Egyptian Instagram model? Beautiful, am I right? Vanessa frowned, stepping around a slow dog walker in her peppy Pomeranian. How do you know he's Egyptian? I know everything about him. Name, age, address, birthstone, political beliefs. Here his voice darkened. Deepest childhood traumas. She laughed, feeling like something dark and cloying had just dislodged itself from her chest. Let me guess. You've had so much free time on your hands, you created a whole dossier on the guy. All the better to murder him with, my sweet. If he stepped out of line, went unsaid. Wade was protective of Dopinder. Besides, I'm not, like, that bored. I mean, yes to the dossier. You know me so well. But I am out of the apartment. Getting some sun, chatting with some folks, networking the youths. There was a suspicious crunch and a muted scream on his end. You know, even though I'm not taking any markers right now, doesn't mean others aren't taking markers on me. Even though he couldn't see it, Vanessa mimed an exaggerated taken-aback face. How rude! Rights? Wade enthused. There was a long stretch of yelling that petered off towards the end, like someone had fallen from a long height. Then Wade was saying, And my branding! My gosh, I've worked so hard on it! My motto is literally, Cannot be killed! And these shitbag motherfuckers! There was a wet noise in the background and a muffled voice. Take it as a challenge, instead of what it is. A statement of fact. Bye, Felicia! 
The screaming in the background ended suddenly amidst three gunshots. You poor baby, Vanessa drawled. She was grinning in the sunlight. I get by, Wade said breezily. So, what's new with you, Scooby-Doo? Payne clutched at her for a second, all of her own making. Vanessa slowly shook her head. I'm an asshole. And I love you. Composing your marriage vows? I have to say, they're sounding suspiciously close to mine. Wade. If there's one thing I won't tolerate in this relationship, it's a copycat. Seriously, she cut in. I love you, and I'm an asshole, and I know how lucky I am to have you. There was a long pause on the other end, then Wade sighed. Hun, are you coming home soon? Because if you are, I can be back home in an hour. There was a choked-off yelp that was actually 100% Wade this time. Strained, he said. Scratch that. Thirty minutes. Livers grow back, right? Don't rush on my account. I'm not going to be back home until dinner. Then swallowing, she said, I'm gonna... I'm gonna talk to someone. Like you want me to. Someone else, at least. Her therapist could take a hike. PTSD. Psh. I'm not twisting your arm. Vanessa cocked her head to the side. Aren't you? She gave him a moment to sputter before continuing. Pointing Dopender at me like that, that's dirty pool, and you know it. Instead of challenging that statement, Wade wished her good luck, gently and sweetly, like he knew what band-aid she had to yank off to make this work. Then he said, Better to start with a social group now if you're going to go ahead and miss another appointment with your therapist. Vanessa froze. She froze so long she missed her chance to cross the street. Cars honked at her and other pedestrians stared. Unfreezing, she hung left, walking like she'd meant to stay on that block after all. Her heart took off like a drum, pounding and rattling so loud she could barely hear herself think. Or speak. I can't believe I forgot what a shitty person you are with other people's secrets. Vanessa quickly shifted her phone from one hand to another, swiping her sweaty palm over her shirt. Her next question came out bitter, rapid fire. You steal his notes too? You know what he thinks I have? Wade hesitated for a moment before finally speaking. A wise woman once told me that she was more than what her shitty brain told her she was. Something to consider once in a while, don't you think? There was a smile in his voice. Bye, sweetheart.